who, yeah, who's visibly black. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you can tell that like he is not <laughs> like he's not even ambiguous. Like his features are that of like a black man's. I'm assuming that the rule of the club is that like you can't be fully of color. You have to have you have to be mi- you can be mixed, but like that mix has to be person of color and white. Hello everyone, this is Alex. And this is Em. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is a podcast for TV lovers, movie buffs, and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we loved, what we hated, and what's just a bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to. And do a bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash good bad basic and be sure to join the tiers marked new today em and i will be discussing the last four seasons of the groundbreaking fx original sons of anarchy sons of anarchy used gang life as a backdrop to create an ongoing narrative about toxic friendships narcissistic parents misguided loyalty the necessity of personal accountability and how misogyny hurts everyone so what exactly do we think made sons of anarchy such a huge network achievement Stay tuned. All right, everyone. So if you missed our last episode, stop listening right now and go listen to that. Um, But just to refresh your memories of those who were here last week, Sons of Anarchy is a crime drama in a neo-Western created by Kurt Sutter. And it aired on FX for seven seasons and a total of 92 episodes from September 3rd, 2008 to December 9, 2014. It had um, one spinoff, Mayans MC, and it stars Charlie Hunnam, Katie Seagal, Maggie Siff, Ron Perlman, and Ryan Hurst, amongst others. So um, this show, as Alex just mentioned, is about gang life. Well, we're calling it a motorcycle club, specifically Sam Crow, Sons of Anarchy Motorcycle Club, Redwood Original. This is our focus. Our protagonist is Jax Teller, played by Charlie Hunnam. This show is loosely based, the first couple seasons anyway, on Shakespeare's Hamlet. Obviously, there's a lot of betrayal and a lot of fucked up family dynamics in that play. This show has that. Throw in gang life. Throw in relationships, romantic relationships. Throw in prisons. And um, throw in rival gangs and warring factions. And you have Sons of Anarchy. (laughs) Right. So we're sort of jumping in back in with to season... Four. So when season four starts, um, the sons have been in prison for the past year and two months. We're introduced to our new sort of antagonist, U.S. Attorney Lincoln Potter, and he has the sons under investigation for guns that they receive from the real IRA and then distribute to local gangs. While in prison, 
The Russians are like dealing with the Suns now because they are taking a portion of the Suns' earnings from the gun running in order, and they were doing that in order to keep them safe in prison. Also, Opie is getting Opie, uh, which is Jax's best friend, is getting married. So, also good to know while in prison, Clay cuts a deal with also new player the Galindo Cartel to not only sell them guns from the IRA, but to traffic cocaine as well. Clay does this, he says, like, for in order to, you know, get, like, a retirement. But he does this without club knowledge, which is a big no-no. So that's also something that's hanging over their heads. Also, pick up from last season, Maureen Ashby, which was Jax's father's lover... Um, has put letters uh, between her and Jax's deceased father into Jax's bag, and Tara discovers those letters. And the letters are important because they detail how both Clay and Gemma conspired to kill Jax's father when Jax's father attempted to get the club out of guns. And that is where we are uh, in the beginning. So let's get into it. Yeah, a lot of things happened season four. Um, also worth noting, um, just to add to everything that you just said, Tara gives birth to Jax's second son, Thomas, while he's incarcerated. So Unser, like, still has cancer, which I find, like, he's not dead yet, which is surprising to me. When we pick up in, like, the beginning of season four, Unser is, like, still struggling with cancer, and he's now, like, living... Unser, who is, like, the former police chief, he's living in a trailer now and and he's like sick and he's like really dying and I really like it because there's even like a scene where he says like everything is dying and I really think it's just like smart and uh really rich to sort of like use him like he's riddled with cancer and dying like his character and like that story is like a metaphor for the larger like idea of the club like there are like in like emotionally, I guess the club is like internally is like riddled with cancer and dying. It's just really smart and really poignant. Yeah, I think that Sons of Anarchy is a very self-aware show. And it's interesting because I think the characters on the show lack a lot of self-awareness, but the show itself is very aware of what it is, where it's been, where it wants to go, and the natural tra- trajectory of the relationships being formed therein. Even though it's very emotionally involved and a very emotionally taxing show to watch at times, you never feel like this shit is going off the rails or you have to kind of guess what the writers want you to infer from certain material, if that makes sense. They do do a good job of like creating these like really great visual metaphors and motifs um, and then making things explicit through dialogue and through just like action and story going back to something that you brought up earlier which was Jax proposes to Tara Jax is out of prison and he is just gotten home he proposes by the way the way he proposes is actually really really sweet he takes the ring and their son that they have together is you know goes to pick up their their son because he needs to be fed or whatever And he puts the ring in Thomas's hand and then he gives the baby to her. 
And so when she, you know, is like adjusting this, the child, like she sees the ring and it's really the sweetest proposal. Um, Okay. I, I feel like I would be irresponsible if I didn't point out that there was a space in time where that kid could have just put his, that ring in his mouth. Um, engagement rings are a choking hazard, FYI. (laughs) (laughs) So, but, um, but anyway, so when this, like, scene happened, and shout out to the writers, because I think it's, it could have been so easy to make both Tara and Gemma, like, really flat characters and, and make them, you know, not think about them. But the show really thinks about them, and particularly Tara, Tara is definitely used, I think, to, to be sort of, like, the moral voice. Granted, she's complicated within of within and of herself because she definitely veers off course a lot. But when they have this conversation and Tara is like elated, but and shout out also to Maggie Siff, who is just such a wonderful actress and plays this so well. She says yes, but she says yes in that way of like, yes. But no, of course, she immediately brings up, she goes, I don't want to raise my kids in this life. Like, I don't want to raise Thomas like this. I don't want to raise Abel like this. Like, I want to marry you and I want us to be a family. But at the same time, does that mean that I have to like permanently attach myself to this? For the first time, like agrees. Jax is like, yes, I agree with you. I don't want to raise our children like this. Jax explicitly says that the club is poison, that it's no longer about brotherhood. It's about fear and greed. And he wants out for his own kids. And Jax even goes on some like, on this, like he says, Jax tells Tara, he goes, and I'm paraphrasing, you were put back in my life to, to help get me out. He's like, I didn't leave with you all those years ago, but like you came back to like save me, which like, mm girl but like and Tara's like of course elated and then Jax also speaks about like you know his father who he says uh, and this is like his deceased father not Clay his father was like too weak his father was like not a strong enough person to save him and his younger brother before he died and it's interesting because and this is like why we say like toxic masculinity and patriarchy hurts everyone because the first thing that Tara says is that great, let's go, like, today, let's get out. And Tara brings up the fact that, like, I'm a surgeon. I'm a neonatal surgeon. Uh, I'm a doctor. Like, we can go anywhere in the world, and I can earn money. And what does Jack say? He goes, no, I can't live off my wife. I will not live off my wife. Fam, let's talk about why that is the dumbest reaction you could have. When you say... Right after you say, quote, you came back to save me. If the person saving you is a woman, are you not going to take the life raft? These are such good questions. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, but this is the dumbest reaction. You're not just saying, yeah, this isn't serving me anymore. You're literally saying this is dangerous for me. This is dangerous for my children. We've been through some shit. I could die. They could die. Thank you for coming back to save me. Except I don't want to be saved that way. So can we hold off on that? Right? Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What? Make it make sense, please. Oh, it's so terrible. Um, We were talking, I was talking on Twitter with a good friend of the show, uh, Sarah Sentry from Bitches on Comics. And we were talking about Matt Murdock, like Daredevil, is 
a fuckboy, but he's like the most dangerous type of fuckboy. And what makes him the most dangerous type of fuckboy is that like he has moments of clarity and he knows that he ain't shit and he'll tell you. He's like, I ain't shit. Like, and these are the reasons why I ain't shit. But then he won't do better. And that is Jack's teller. Like, that's one of his key, key issues. I mean, like AA said, the first step is admitting you have a problem. But there's like 11 other steps after that. And if you're stuck on the first step, what work have you actually done? (laughs) He's very disheartening to watch from this season forward. Like, I'm sorry. He's very, very, very disheartening to watch from this season onward. Because at this point, Jax is very much aware of what the problems with his father were, what his problems are, what the club's problems are. But what steps, actionable steps does he take to at least save himself and save his children? None. Yeah, like, season four, episode one, Jax, is the last time I will think that Jax Teller, like, is a redeemable person or or can be saved. Um, When Jax refuses to let Tara save him, even after admitting that he feels that it was her purpose in coming back in his life, um, for me, it's foreshadowed that he will sink with this ship. Absolutely. Clay cuts a deal with uh, the Galindo cartel to start trafficking cocaine clay and jacks make a deal to like each other that jacks will support the trafficking if clay lets him go free now like i said we have a new anti we have uh, a new antagonist in the form of ausa lincoln potter ausa lincoln potter through eli roosevelt the new sheriff convinced juice to steal a brick of coke from the Glendo cartel under their orders. They get Juice to do this by hanging this fact over Juice's head, uh, the fact of which Juice's father is black. So, like Em said earlier, so this doesn't make any sense. This is this is a part where that like is always confuses me. The show never explicitly explains it. I I've just had to like and we've just had to like infer or whatever, but there are people of color in the MC. So I'm assuming the reason, even specifically thinking about happy who is black, who, yeah, who is visibly black. Like, <laughs> like you can tell that like, he is not like, he's not even ambiguous. Like his features are that of like a black man's. I'm assuming that the rule of the club is that like, you can't be fully of color you have to have you have to be you can be mixed but like that mix has to be person of color and white yeah see um i'm not even sure that that's the rule um so there's a few reasons why i say that a i think happy is visibly black to people who are black but they don't actually have like a medium to dark skin, unambiguously black person until the end of the series where they have that black guy. You know the one I'm talking about. Right, but that's when they change the bylaws. So that's why I was like, the rule has to be like, you can be mixed. Yeah, that's what I was getting to. Um, When this occurs, everybody is aware that Juice's mother is a non-black Puerto Rican. So he would in fact still still the bylaws would still include him if he could be mixed and then later he speaks to chibs who has a black wife and a biracial daughter and he asked him 
are you comfortable with these bylaws? Because, you know, these bylaws would be, you know, kind of exclusionary to your family. And Chibs is like, well, it's different. They can't, they couldn't be in the MC anyway, because, you know, his daughter, Carrie Ann is a woman. So she's mixed and her dad is a white man. And apparently the bylaws still wouldn't include her. So the writing is, the writing is ambiguous on this one point, I will say. I think it's just inconsistent because like, they know that happy is, is half black because when there's an episode where, where Happy specifically asks if they can go to his mother's neighborhood to drop off prescriptions that she needs. And the neighborhood is a black neighborhood. Because then while they're in the neighborhood, these people jack their guns. And mm-hmm. the mother who like sort of runs that crew, she's like a petty criminal. She's black. She's doing some weird African act. I don't know. I think it's supposed to be an African accent. But like, so they're aware Right. Well, this is what this is my personal theory. I don't know how true it is, but the only theory that I feel makes any sense is you like if you are a person of color, you specifically have to have a white father. They don't care if mom's is black, but if you're not the progeny of a white man, then it becomes an issue. At least that's the only difference I see between Juice and everybody else of color on the show until the bylaws were changed. Um, I think that's I think that's the problem. Like they don't want uh, the children of specifically black men to be part of the MC. Okay, like I guess it's it's inconsistent. Like that's an explanation that I could roll with, but like. It's inconsistent and it's weird because they, um, cause like even then, I think there's an episode later on where there's some, there's a, he looks like he might be Filipino, um, some sort of Asian mix, uh, cause his skin is dark, um, maybe. And he's like a, he's prospecting. So it's like, what are the, <laughs> what are the actual rules? Um, yeah, like I said, I think I think the only thing that makes sense is you need a white daddy. It, this is actually not atypical of racist organizations, which the MC is. Even if they're not like Aryan up, they are a racist organization. These men fraternize and procreate with women of color all the time, but they're not really down for fraternizing with men of color. Or having their women, aka white women, have children um, with men outside the race. That's like a big no-no. Um, so for me, like that's the only conclusion that makes sense that doesn't leave the whole, um, you know, are you in or are you out waters kind of murky. Because Juice is dark, you guys. Like, I knew he was some type of POC the moment I laid eyes on him. They knew right. it too. <laughs> their bylaws are weird and Juice gets caught up in the shit because they're blackmailing him on account of him having a black father. He didn't know this because he never knew his father and his mother never shared this information. And now he's desperate for the club not to find out. I can, like, like I said, the desperation that fuels his actions from this season onward can only lead me to believe that he knows how the club feels and he knows they're not going to be happy about it. And even though a lot of fans of the show don't understand Juice's actions, if you go back even as early as season one and what they did to Kyle simply because he didn't get his tattoo covered up and that's a whole white man um, who was one of their own, you, I can... I can very easily 
understand Juice's fear and the desperation behind his actions. If you've been a person of color in white spaces, like you understand like the desperation of Juice's actions. Or if you have any sort of experience with white people, you understand the desperation of Juice's actions. Cause like, um, I don't, it's not crazy to think that they're going to turn on him in an extremely violent, scary way. Like that's just sort of, I mean, dealing with white people day in and day out. Like you never quite, I mean, you learn particularly like if you're the only one, and you do, and you are in a predominantly white space, you, you're always on edge in a way that you're never, that you're never not. But I don't know how to describe it, but like, um, you're always on edge. Like you just are like, you're always sort of ready for the, for the thing to come, the, the bad thing to come, which is sucks, but it's, I don't know. That's at least that's been my experience as as a person who like in school like was always in predominantly white spaces. I was just always ready for the other shoe to drop, and had a lot of white friends growing up. I was just I was always always ready, always on guard. Right, I agree with that. When you're in a space where you're being tokenized and you know you're like the only one or one of a few, there is a hyper vigilance that comes in that that is almost like a. Your your flight or flight response is always triggered. Now compound that in Juice's situation where he doesn't even know of his vulnerability until Eli Roosevelt points this out and threatens to tell the club if Juice doesn't play snitch, play narc, play informant for him. It's a much more, even more tenuous situation because he thought he was on the inside. Now he's very much on the outside. They don't know it yet, though. <laughs> So these orders to steal this coke lead to Juice having to kill a prospect, Miles, and then frame him for the stealing of the coke, which then puts him even deeper into a bad way with Sam Crow, should they figure out what's happened. So it, it starts to become very, very, very precarious for Juice. Out of fear, guilt over what happened with Miles, he does once um, attempt suicide. He attempts to hang himself. It's particularly despicable that Eli is the one who is sort of arbitering this at first. He gets how dangerous this is. And to Eli's credit, and I guess the show's credit, Eli does feel remorse pretty quickly, actually. he When Lincoln Potter want Eli to entrap Juice and essentially do something illegal, Eli is not with it. Eli himself essentially does not have, have a choice in the matter because the AUSA is like, well, if you don't do this dirty thing or if you don't act in this illegal manner, then I'll make a call to your superiors and have you fired. So it becomes... So once again, it becomes another, it's poignant once again that it's this African-American male who is like a police sheriff who's in power is then like once again superseded by another another um, white man in a higher position. They're, the layers in that are ironic. So I'm not going to lie. I didn't feel the least bit sorry for Roosevelt. I feel like he had that coming and... 
I, I can't even say it's retribution for the situation he put Juice in because Juice suffers this season and continues to suffer for the rest of his duration on the show as a direct result of this initial blackmail. And I think it's necessary for black cops in particular who think that the badge and the blue somehow negates their uh, negritude to get their nigger wake-up call every once in a while. <laughs> so then another plot that's sort of hanging over the heads is these letters, the Maureen Ashby letters, that detail how Clay and Gemma killed JT, Jax's birth father, his real father. Tara finds these letters and she reads them and puts together what really happened. Piney then asks Tara for the letters and Tara does not produce them or give them to Piney. But Piney through some conversations with Tara, also pieces together the the truth as well. Now, because Tara read these letters, Clay finds out that Tara knows about these letters and Clay puts a hit out on Tara. <laughs> Yikes. But before Clay solidifies the hit out on Tara, Clay and Piney have a conversation and an argument over the letters. And through the course of all of that, Clay kills Piney. Clay already conspired to kill his best friend, John Teller. So what's killing Piney, who's also one of his best and oldest friends, right? The show kind of shows you the side effects of not really taking responsibility for your actions. Yeah, he admitted what he did to Donna, but was he truly remorseful or was he still trying to make excuses for himself? Like, I'm sorry, I was suspicious of you, Ob. Bad timing, wrong place, wrong time. Clay doesn't really feel remorse for the things that he's done. And he thinks that anything he's done is justified if it's quote unquote for the good of the club. But let's be real. Anytime he or Gemma say those words for the good of the club, they really mean what's best for them. Gemma figures out that Clay puts the hit out on Tara and then Gemma confronts Clay and Clay beat the light shit out of her. I mean, like punches her, punches her like with his rings on. Gemma's shocked, which... Okay. I mean, I guess, I'm shocked too. <laughs> I guess I'm like, did you never think that that violence would like somehow be met upon you? Like ever? Really? I'm, I mean, most abusers, I want to say most, all abusers know how to compartmentalize. We say things like so-and-so needs anger management. They need to learn self-control. But the truth is there is no one who, out here who is abusing every person in their life and every relationship they're in they know who to fucking try it with and he's just never tried it with her for this from the introduction of the show we have been led to believe that jenna is essentially running shit in her relationships with both jack and with clay they've been married for several years now um i think a couple of decades um and he's never laid a hand on her before yeah i would be shocked because that shit came out of nowhere <laughs> Okay, I, I, that's, I guess, I guess, like, I don't, like, I, because the club is so just, like, virtually, like, misogynistic, and we talked about this, and I guess, I guess Gemma feels like she's the exception, and maybe the boys feel that she's the exception, because Gemma is very much leaned into and wrapped up in this cloak of traditional like patriarchal femininity like her whole identity is like being a mother and I mean she does all the sort of trappings of motherhood she's a mother she volunteers at the you know local food bank she sews she's like a avid gardener 
She bakes cinnamon rolls from scratch. So because... Mm, Love to hear it. (laughs) Because she is cloaked in all those things, that makes her some sort of exception. But but we know that that is not the truth, right? Because... It's not. It's not. not. And I mean, Gemma is very much a patriarchy princess. And you make a very great point in that, you know, patriarchy won't save you. Aligning yourself with patriarchy and patriarchal violence is not going to save you, ladies. But I did not think that Gemma's wake-up call would come directly at Kali's hands. And I think that was a shock to me. They don't have an abusive marriage. They actually have a very open marriage and open dialogue, open communication. Usually these lessons are learned as a byproduct of the, the overall culture of the patriarchy. Clay turning on Gemma really came out of left, but I think the show really wanted to extricate the Gemma character from the Clay character. And this is really the only thing that could have come between them. Um, Clay taking direct direct action and direct violence against Gemma like this is really the only thing that could have broken up their marriage. I mean, they killed a man together, his best That's friend, her true. husband. So so there was no there was nothing getting in between them if Clay didn't mess this up. Clay puts the hit out on Tara and he does it through the cartel. The cartel is the one that's supposed to carry it out. He puts the hit on her thinking that she's going to be alone when they do it, but fate intervenes, plans change, and Jax is there. Jax and her children are there when the attempt to kidnap her and kill her is made. And during this attempt, Tara's hand, her hand that, you know, she uses for surgery, is almost severed in half. It caught in between a door in the chaos. I mention this because like all this sort of posts, like, after that this hand is, is done, it's, ugh. Tara has, like, a, has a big wake up. It's like, it's her big come to Jesus. She's in the hospital room and Jax comes to her and he's, you know, broken up because he's indirectly responsible. He's like, are you okay? And and she's, like I said, she's high off the drugs and she goes, I knew, like deep down inside of me, like I knew. And she says something to the effect of, the only way I can be with you is if I lose my way out from you. And that's mm-hmm. what I lost today. Woo, hit me like a gut punch yeah i mean tara's hand was definitely her rock bottom right this is her career this is her livelihood this is what she has worked for years towards all of her life and now the hand that she uses her for her surgery her dominant hand is messed up and even though you know she wears a cast for the duration of i think the duration of her run on the series right she's her hand is still in a cast it's it's pretty clear it will never be fully functional again. And it is, um, Jax is indirectly responsible because had they pieced out when she asked him to, this wouldn't have happened. When all of this is happening and, and Tara's like in the hospital, this is the time that Wendy decides to come back and be like, I want my kids. Which like, girl, yes, but also girl timing. Right. I mean, here's the thing about Wendy. I think Wendy's timing could have been better, but like, also, what's a good time to be like, hey, I know you've been raising my kids since infancy, but I'm clean and sober and I've been clean and sober for years now. And I want him to know that I'm his mother and I want to be a part of his life. How do you have that conversation to someone who sees themselves as that child's mother, which Tara makes very clear. She doesn't view Wendy as his mother. She sees Abel as her son. They don't. They haven't even told Abel that she's not his biological mother. So when's a good time to have that conversation? <laughs> well, 
it's a, like Tara. No, Tara's like views Wendy as her, as Abel's mom. She and that's I will like defend her on that point because she and Jax do have that conversation. And in fact, she's the one that's like, like, and this is earlier, I think, in an earlier season. And it's some episode, I forget, but they're they're in the clubhouse. There's this photograph of Wendy and Jax. And, and Tara does look at him and say, one day we're going to have to, we, like, we should talk about when we're going to tell Abel that this is his mother. And, like, we need to think about how we're going to reintegrate Wendy into Abel's life. And Jax is the one that says, you're the only person that my son is going to call mother. Like, I refuse. Well, I remember that conversation. And that's true. She did bring that up to Jax. But she brought this up after telling Wendy, I'm Abel's mother. You're just a junkie. So she said all the right things in her conversation with Jax about reintegrating Wendy into Abel's life. But when she was talking to Wendy, she just threw that addiction card in Wendy's face and basically um, denied her her right to her son. And this is and this is and and, and when she leaves the room, you know, um, Wendy says under her breath, "Thanks, Gemma." Um, both Wendy and Tara's supervisor at work bring up the fact, post this hand situation, how Tara's behavior is becoming more and more like Gemma's, which right, is, and that's, it's, it's worth noting. No, that's what I'm saying. And that's, and I was going to get deeper into that when we talk about season five, but like Tara's somebody that like, even when she's like becoming more Gemma-like, and this is the, and this is the difference between really Tara and everyone else, Tara will self-correct. Her instincts will always go back to like what is right. And that's sort of what makes her different than everybody else on the show it's like everybody will like have the bad instinct and then like be like oh that was bad and then they'll just go ahead and do the bad thing anyway but Tara will self-correct and Tara does self-correct because Tara knows better and she genuinely does try to do better when she knows better yeah that's true and another point I think is worth noting is that Gemma um actually does serve the purpose of helping Tara's uh, course correct because when she sees herself veering onto that path she's like course correct so Gemma's kind of like the example of all the things she doesn't want to be and even though she's grown to love Gemma she she never forgets that Gemma is a very manipulative person and a very dangerous person and, right um and she doesn't want to fall into those habits so Gemma Gemma's very presence helps um Tara course correct when she knows she's fucked up right and that's and that's why like I guess um, cause I guess I'm a terror defender, but like, <laughs> I really like her. <laughs> I like her and I think she's a very complicated character. Um, and I, and I guess that's why I always stick up for Tara because Tara's not a perfect person. She's highly imperfect and she's complex, but she, she wants to do better and she takes actionable steps to do better. Gemma constantly tries to pit Tara and Wendy against each other using either their children or Jax to do so. Right. And you know what? It's interesting that you talk about, that we're talking about this. Cause yeah, she, she does hit Wendy and Tara against each other when really, I think, particularly when I think Tara has like a lot of empathy for Wendy. My point is, is that like Tara and, and it's Tara and Wendy though, forever. Like they should have been helping. The point is, is that like patriarchy divides women. Tara and Wendy are natural allies, which they are but, eventually. But like you said, too little, too late. Women don't look to a man to solve a problem that you could solve yourself because Jack's, makes the situation worse, doesn't he? He just, I mean, he does what Jax does, like, which is 
be like scary as shit. Really quickly before we close out season four, um, I want to talk very briefly about Opie and Lila. He finds out that Lila's on birth control and loses his shit and cheats on her. But like, shouldn't she be on fucking birth control when y'all got three kids and very, very unstable or, and in his case, illicit sources of income? Opie makes it clear to her that he not only wants her to stop working, but that he wants to have another child with her. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't want any of those things. She doesn't want to stop working. Um, and she doesn't want another kid, both of which are smart, um, for particularly like where that their whole situation is concerned. And then, yeah, he does like the worst thing, which is sleep with her her little friend if you can call her that i don't know that like i think that girl's an op but like she's she's he sleeps with her friend yeah that girl is an op he wants lila to be donna but she's not donna like she has more sense like i don't know like right right and I mean, Donna didn't work at all, which is something I brought up in season one. Like she was getting, she was getting like uh, some money from the club on account of the fact that Opie was locked up on club business, but they were just barely getting by. And then that pretty much ended when he was released from prison and the club expected him to get back to work. But I'm like, Donna, babe, you could have gotten some kind of certification or at least your AA, your BA while he was locked up to do something. But the idea of her working was never even a conversation. Right. I mean, I think that's the good part about the Lila plot is that it makes it clear that like, this is like an Opie thing that like Opie is like, you don't have to work, but like she does have to work. I think it's actually really good on Lila. Lila even says, I like my job, which I don't think he was expecting. After Gemma gets this shit beaten out of her, she finds where the letters are. And Gemma takes out the letters that implicate her in John's death, but leaves in the ones that implicate Clay. (laughs) Oh, she's on time. She's on. Listen, Say what you will about Jenna, but this bitch is a mastermind for real. (laughs) For real. She's on 10. And then she gives them to Jack. Once Opie realizes that Clay killed Piney, Opie attempts to assassinate Clay. Clay instructs Jacks and Unser who were there. Clay instructs them to blame it on the Niners until they can figure out something else. Everybody, the whole club hears that like the Niners tried to assassinate Clay. Tig is so incensed by this assassination attempt that he gets in a car, attempts to murder Leroy, who is like the upper level management of the Niners. He doesn't kill Leroy, but he does kill Veronica Pope, which is Damon Pope's daughter, who will be like a big player next season. Jax goes to kill Clay once he finds out that like Clay murdered JT, but Jax doesn't kill Clay because then we find out that the CIA is like part of the Galindo cartel or like the CIA is like low-key funding or like in charge of the Galindo cartel because the CIA and the US in general has like a stake in the region that they operate outside of the country and they need that cartel to operate to essentially like destabilize that 
a region for their own purposes. So look at that U.S. imperialism at work. Mm. I love them keeping it real in the writing, though, because any right? other show would have just been like there are CIA operatives and informants in the Galindo cartel. They're not actually running this shit. <laughs> and once that is like revealed, then the big uh, RICO investigation that Lincoln Potter was like spearheading get put on the back burner because he needs the MC to keep working and the MC needs to get guns from the IRA. And the only way that the MC can get guns from the IRA is if Clay is still alive because Galen, who is in charge of um, sending the guns to Sam Crow, will only work with Clay and nobody else because he does not like Jack. Jack strips Clay of his patch as president and Jack essentially assumes the crown, aka he becomes president of the club. It's a whole sequence, all of this. It's an amazing sequence with an amazing music cue. And yeah, and that's season four. So what do we think about season four? Season four is very good. Very, very good. Um, I feel like they took a lot of characters up a notch. Juice, Clay, um, even Piney. Piney was really like more integrated into the central plot in this season than ever before. Yeah, I loved everything about this season. I can't complain on the writing front. So shout out to all the writers. Same. I love everything about season four. Um, There's some of the most heart-wrenching, heartbreaking scenes of season four. Like that shower scene. Uh. Jax gets out of the shower. He's like washed off the blood and, and Tara's sitting there and, and Jax is like, do you love me? And like very quietly, like she whispers to herself, I would stop if I could. The performances are really astounding. The writing's really good. I, I love this season. Season five, which is 13 episodes long. This season introduces us to a character played by Jimmy Smith called Nero, Nero Padilla. This season, Jackson and Tara get married. And this is very important. They don't invite Gemma. Um, and Tara is basically... <laughs> yeah, of course she does. But Tara tries to put distance between Gemma and the children because... They're getting older, especially Abel, and she is rightfully frightened of Gemma's corrupting influence. Gemma has this very pathological need to be worshipped and adored by all the males in her life, which is very strange. Um, She definitely needed some therapy for that shit. Season 5 picks up with the club Mule and Coke and dealing guns from the Irish to the Glendo cartel. When we come in, there are a series of home invasions happening in Charming, um, which Jax suspects are the Niners. Tig's daughter is murdered by Damon Pope in retaliation for Tig murdering his daughter. Clay is basically a shell of who he was before, and Gemma is not doing well at all. She's sort of used to being the reigning queen of Sam Crow, and that has since been taken by Tara. Not being, you know, the club queen is like, it has really unraveled her. You know, Gemma is self-medicating with like sex and alcohol and drugs. I mean, it's not just that. Like, her marriage is like done pretty much, right? <laughs> So she's got a, I think she's got a lot of, of trauma concerning that. And even when she's with Nero, there are a couple instances throughout the show that make it clear that like it take it, it takes a bit of time for her to fully untangle herself emotionally from Clay. Right. Um, and we see that stuff later. Yeah, sort of like in the back half of season five. In this first episode, like Gemma's so she was blacked out 
So, like, she doesn't even remember having sex with Nero. She also calls him a racial slur, and he's into her. And I just, I just want men of color to love themselves. That's it. Like, I just, I want, I want better for y'all. Like, mm-hmm. not, it's, it doesn't have to be every white woman that, like, calls you a racial slur. Like, it's okay if you don't do that. But this isn't even actually what upset me the most is as it's the fact that as the relationship progresses, Nero completely shits all over the woman of color who's held him down for years to bolster up Jenna. Gemma, that's what bothers me. That's what bothers me. How how he's willing to throw this other woman under the bus to be with his white queen. No, yeah. My note for there is like, this sucks. <laughs> like, um, uh, like I, I, I know y'all be doing this, but seeing it in living color was hard. Relationships like Nero's are not that uncommon with men of color and white women. And I'm glad to see it on screen, honestly, in a way that's honest about Gemma, about Nero and what they want out of the relationship. Sam Crow is doing its normal uh, coke and gun operations, but Tig killed Damon Pope's daughter while Sam Crow has been sort of just doing their thing. Damon Pope intervenes and gets the club locked up in prison. While in prison, Damon Pope and Jax have a conversation. And Pope informs Jax that one of his men has to die in order to settle a score for like a cop that they killed or whatever. And the person who ends up dying is Opie. So we have Opie's death here in season five. It was interesting to watch Opie die, not watch it because it was like really horrific, but just sort of leading up to it because earlier before they get locked in prison, originally Jax wants Opie to be his VP, not Bobby. And Opie just straight up tells Jax, like, I don't want to turn into you. Like, and I'm scared that like, if I become VP, like I'll, I'll really lose myself forever. When Opie dies. I think most people probably frame it as a sacrifice, but looking at it now and rewatching it and sort of taking it in, it's not so much as a sacrifice, but I think it was like, at least for me personally, it doesn't read so much as a sacrifice. It reads as like a suicide. Like Opie was just done. This was a way for Opie to like leave and not have the the stigma of suicide against him that the club has before when juice attempts suicide when chibs talks to Jax about it Jax is like it's clear that there's a stigma associated like with suicide like if you try to commit suicide in the club like it's not it's looked down upon it's clear that opie opie chose it Jax does say as much later on in the season he's like i think opie just found a way out i agree i think it was a form of suicide but i don't I think it was also sacrificed. I don't think one necessarily cancels out the other, and I'll get into that in a minute. But they, there's also other comments made. I believe Clay makes a comment, or Tig makes a comment, like, he hasn't been right since Donna died. He never really got over Donna, and his marriage with Lila is pretty much over, even though they never officially divorced. It's interesting to me that he says he doesn't want to become Jax because in a lot of regards, I see OP's situation as much more dire. Like you're worse than Jax because you're still in a club that is responsible for taking your wife's life. The home invasions continue and things reach a fever pitch when Eli's wife is the target of one of the home invasions and then she's subsequently killed. It's revealed that the home invasions are the work of Clay, trying to regain his seat at the head of the table. 
And then while all of this is happening, Tara is sent uh, to the prison by Jax and Bobby uh, to try to get Otto to reverse his testimony so that the RICO charge won't still be hanging over the club's head because they need the RICO charge to go away so that they can get out of uh, the guns and the, the drugs. I guess Pope just like takes a liking to Jax and in order for Pope to like sort of demonstrate his goodwill towards the club, he finds the guard that killed Opie and gives the address to Sam Crow. I bring up the scene because it's interesting to see because it's so demonstrative of how far Jax has fallen, how much Jax has changed um, from the Jax we saw earlier in season one. When they go to get this guard, the wife is at home and they didn't know she was going to be home. Tig just kills the wife and Jax approves and Jax is like, well, oh, well, she was collateral damage. This is the same Jax who intervened in a young, in like, you know, a young girl being killed like first, second season. Right. And then like mm-hmm. specifically being like telling the club, like, who are we? What are we about? If we're going to kill women and kids, like no killing women and kids. And, and now that's like not, that's not a thing to him. That doesn't phase him anymore. Right, right. And it's so interesting to me that after Don's murder, it doesn't make Tig reevaluate the lives he's taken, um, specifically what he did to Donna, even though that was an accident. I mean, he was aiming for somebody, though. It doesn't really make him reflect on his own behaviors. If anything, he only becomes more violent because he feels entitled to vengeance. Right. A vengeance that, like, he's not actually entitled to. You're like, not. You set this whole thing in motion. motion. Like, oh, God. I hate it. Um, he's just as responsible as those prisoners who were given lead pipes for Opie's death. Yeah, they were put there by the prison guards. Um, but the four of y'all, Jax, Tig, Chibs, and Opie, were put there as a result of Tig's actions. Right. Um, <laughs> oh, yikes. So you talk a lot about how makeup and costuming and, and hair are, like, some of the most important things in, you know, filmmaking. And you're right. Bring this up because I want to highlight season five we see Tara becoming more and more like Gemma. What I think is brilliant about that is like, we not only see it through the writing, but the makeup and the costume in the hair department, like really hammers this idea home. Because like, if you notice throughout season five, the beginning of season five and to till the end, actually the um, and in the end, it'll like change is that like, we see Tara dressing more and more like Gemma dresses and her hair starts to match Gemma's hair and like her makeup starts to match Gemma's makeup the way Gemma's makeup is done like in first season and it's really it's really good shout out to the costuming in the hair department um in the wardrobe because they really did a good job with that and narrowed and hammered that home I have to look again at the makeup. I honestly don't remember what her face looked like in season five, but I definitely caught the wardrobe changes. Um, As for her face, um, this show, season five actually does a long way, goes a long way to show you Tara's internal and external struggles in regards to Jax's decision-making and her depression, her deep depression in regards to her hand. You know, depression doesn't look the same on everybody. And I appreciate that the show doesn't have her like just sitting at the house 
um, you know, drinking beer, eating turkey sandwiches, and watching reality TV. That's not what everybody's depression looks like. Tara's depression looks much different. It's very sharp and biting, and it lashes out sometimes in regards to Wendy. It can be very violent, um, and we see that in regards to Nero's girlfriend, where she and Gemma get in a fight with her. And it can also be just very stoic. Um, we see a lot of the light and the shine go out of Tara's eyes. And she's just, she's very functional, but very unhappy. Yes, yes, yes. You're right. Like the light definitely goes out of her eyes. Like a switch definitely flips in in her to the point where she she's agreeing to do things that like she would have never agreed to do had she been right and was working and her hand was healthy. It's funny, like, I think the whole her trying to get Otto to flip uh, storyline is is good for the plot because obviously it's, ne- it's necessary for the plot to forward, but it's also, for me, like, exactly what she said. It's a symptom of her depression. Like, she would have never agreed to do that had she been in her better frame of mind. Never. And I, you know what? I don't even think they would have had the balls to ask. Right. And the fact <laughs> that like, and the fact that Jax just is like, whatever about all of it is like, oh, worst husband ever. Auto trying to get Otto to flip was crazy because first of all, no one thought, no one thought that Otto would be the one to flip and sign that Rico statement. But you know, enough is enough. He's been through so much for the club. He still doesn't have justice for Luann. Really the only person that was writing for Otto on the outside. She was the one that was taking his calls daily. She was the one that was visiting him weekly. The club didn't have words for him. And I get it. You're in a similar enterprise. You don't want to visit too often or contact too much because you don't want the police scooping all of y'all's asses up. I get it. But the club really shot on Otto. And trying to use Tara to flip his Rico statement was probably one of the lowest things they could have done. Tara goes to prison one more time to try to convince Otto to recant uh, his statement so that the Rico charge will go away. And while she's there, he stabs a nurse to death with a cross that Tara got for him, thereby implicating Tara in the murder, this murder he committed. And then in order to like make up for the fact that she almost killed Thomas, Jax tells Gemma to get close to clay get evidence to prove that he was behind like these home invasions and she agrees to do it and it is it's a bad bad stuff on her mental health right because despite everything that happened recently with Gemma and clay they've been ride or die for many years now And he would never turn knock on her and she would never turn knock on him until this moment where Jax basically uses his leverage to force her hand. And, you know, with it being able to, I think, hurt Jax even more. Not to say that he doesn't love Thomas. He clearly does. But, you know, Abel was born very fragile and needing tons of surgeries. And then he was kidnapped. And Jax has come so close to losing Abel so many times. And his mother being responsible this time, I think was the beginning of the end of their relationship. And she felt it too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Tara's hand gets better and her prognosis starts looking good. And it starts looking good enough uh, for the pediatrics practice in Providence, Oregon to come to 
California where they live and offer and make a job offer to Tara in person. So you know that money is like for real. And Tara, who who by this time has like come back to herself, is having this depression sort of like lift, doesn't even tell, I mean, she doesn't even wait for Jack. She's like, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> She's like, I'm getting out. She's like, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm gone. She's going to die waiting on that man. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and then basically Tara realizes she's lost herself. Like, and that's part of why she's so depressed is that like in loving Jax, she's lost herself and lost a big part of who she was. And once again, this is what I say. Like, Oh, I love shows that like in help, like infer and then like make explicit even if it's just in a small way, it doesn't have to be big, just small. Because then Tara says, I used to love being a surgeon. Like, I used to really care about people. I used to love, like, saving lives. Like, that was a huge part of my identity, and it's gone. Like, that part of me feels so far away. And it's like, ugh, it broke my heart, basically. So Tara's locked up for this conspiracy to murder charge. And she's still locked up when we go into season six, by the way. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That's, listen, she's really suffering. So this is, I think, more of a commentary on gang life rather than male-female dynamics. The season ends with, like, after Jax kills Damon Pope and blames Pope's death on Clay, uh, making Clay, like, essentially be on the run, Tara comes back to herself, really, and she she draws up a bunch of paperwork to basically say that should anything happen to her or Jax, that Wendy is going to be the legal guardian of both of her children. She makes plans with Wendy, and she takes the position in Oregon, and she's ready to leave. Like She gives like the most amazing speech to Jack. She goes, you know, I realized that my job is to be strong where you can't be and you cannot be strong when it comes to to this place and the the MC but I can be I can see clearly now and so I took that job up in in Oregon and you know I've packed up my stuff and I've packed up the stuff with our kids and you know what we're leaving we're leaving tonight and if you love me and you love us, and you love this family, then I'll see you up there. And if you don't, well, then that's what it is. Like, (laughs) that's just what it's got to be. And then she gets arrested, and that's how season six closes out. Not season six. That's how season five closes out, and it's horrible to watch. It really is. Tara does not deserve this. Um... You know, earlier in season four, we were talking about Gemma and Clay, and I was like, you know, patriarchy won't save you. But I never thought she would have to learn that directly at Clay's hands. I, this is the type of situation I'm talking about. Um, Being on the fringes of something like like this, like a gang is always going to harm you. And Tara doesn't learn this directly from Jax. She learns it indirectly. Um, But she learns it nonetheless, because they are the reason why she's in this situation. Um, They her depression and the horrible decision she made to help them or try to help them with auto. Um, so what do we think of season five? Is it good, bad, or basic? You know, this season is definitely like less like plot intensive, I think than season four, but I like that about it. Cause I think we're able to um, focus more on like character development. And I like that. And it, 
I think that's perfect. I really like season five. I think it's great. Damon and Jax form this really interesting relationship with each other that we didn't get to talk a whole lot about. But like, I think there's something about it that perfectly encapsulates the relationship between uh, poor white people and like rich, and rich black people. Like Jax has a real admiration for Damon, but then like Jax is very quick to kill Damon, even though Damon helped Jax do all of these things. Mm-hmm. And Damon's not really in at fault because Damon only intervened in Jax's shit over some stuff that Tig did. Right. Mm-hmm. So really yep. Damon is in the right, but it's it. But the fact that <laughs> Jax ultimately turns on Damon and kills him after Damon helped him is like, it's, I was like, Ooh, I really love season five as well. Although we didn't get to see a lot of her. I liked the portrayal of the Lila character, especially after Opie's death. Lila is just salt of the earth. Another one who's too good for these motherfuckers. Um, but she's got three kids to raise now. But she never even considers not raising Opie's children, who are now orphans. Her question is, how am I going to raise three kids? Not if. You know, Jax is like, look around. Everyone here, here is here to help you. Just ask anybody here for help Girl, and they'll help up. you. And I'm like, that's good in theory, but you motherfuckers know that ain't the truth. <laughs> Season five was really great. Uh, the, the, the scene at Opie's wake, I thought was really beautiful for what it was like obviously it's not how i would plan a wake but this is clearly how sam crow pays their respects but season five was so great for the reasons you stated character development was was definitely moving up and this they never slacked in that department on this show i can't say that but it was definitely on an upward trajectory which is hard to find in the back end of a series so season six uh Tara's locked up so Gemma is like back in her element she's all put together now there's even a really amazing ending shot in at the end of season five that mirrors the the shot that was at the end of season four that sort of um visually states Gemma's place back on the throne she's back to being I guess Jax's wife emotionally Mm. Tara is like seriously come to Jesus she she was already come to Jesus but now She's like, come to Jesus, come to the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Spirit, Holy Ghost. She's like, you know, come to Allah. She's coming to everybody, the whole crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oya, Oshun, everyone. Mm-hmm. Trying to figure the whole out. just trying to reach enlightenment out here. <laughs> she's just trying to reach somebody out here. Because um, she's trying to figure out her next move. This whole time she's refused to see Jax. And he's come to the prison every day to talk to her. She ain't talking to him. Um, We have our new antagonist and villain in the form of Lee Torek, who is a retired U.S. Marshal, and he comes to wreak havoc. Um, He's a retired U.S. Marshal, but people let him do things like he still has jurisdiction in places, which is crazy. And then, like, also, he's a whole meth addict. (laughs) District Attorney Tyne Patterson. So let's get... Let's get into it. All right. Very quickly. Um, so the nurse that Otto killed last season, Pamela Torek, her brother is this former U.S. Marshal Lee Torek. The short time that Torek is alive, he reek. I mean, he wreaks havoc um, wherever he goes. That man was I not mean, playing games. <laughs> when Tara gets out of prison, Tara's like, let's just finish the conversation we were having. 
Jack starts talking some mess. Like, I mean, really out here talking some foolishness about, you know, I'm moving the club in a different direction and we're going to like get out of guns and I'm going to do this thing with the, with the sex worker house. And, you know, I can support us when, when Tara like puts her head down and pinches the bridge of her nose, girl, I felt that shit. Like I really did. I mean, her man was talking like a whole addict. Jax is addicted to this fucking club and their addictions will be the death of them, period. He is sounding like a whole addict on some, well, I don't have to leave, leave. I just have to manage it better. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, bye. So then Tara concocts this whole plot of like, she's going to get like a fake pregnancy test and she's going to draw up paper and like, She's gonna pretend she's she essentially pretends she's pregnant in order to manipulate Jax to sign over legal custody to Wendy, not Gemma, so that essentially she can bounce with these kids and like go because she knows he's talking foolishness and he ain't never gonna get it together. Basically, she gets got like they find out and it's not pretty, but when I tell you I I understood. I understood every single step and action she took and why she took it. Uh, she's essentially awake to the fact that her husband is a, is an extremely dangerous person and that she could very well end up worse than Gemma in terms of, you know, Clay just beat Gemma. Jax could kill her. And then in this time, Jax cheats on Tara, which is like, whew, Ooh, baby, like fucking audacity. <laughs> like, oh my god. Okay, and she she catches him and let me tell you something. Tara's a much better person than me cuz she catches him and she she backhands the girl, which fair. And then she like scratches Jax and then like punches him and then she leaves the the place, like the place where like the house or whatever. And then Jax is like, ugh. And then, like, puts on his pants and, like, chases after her. And he's like, Tara, Tara. And then she whips around and, like, whips out, like, this gun. And, like, such a better person than me because I would have shot. Like, I would have at least shot him in the leg. Like, I'd have been like, I don't, I, fuck a conspiracy to murder, murder charge. Like, do you understand? And she even says that. She's like, do you understand what I've sacrificed for you? Like, do you do you, like, do you get it? Like, are you not aware of, like, everything that I have done for, like, for this? For you to do this? Oof. And I felt, mm. and when she said that, I felt it, like, deeply. Deep in myself, I felt it. My girl deserved better. She did time. Her career was on the line for this man. Listen, um, this, every single thing she did in this season is faultless as far as I'm concerned. Because he really left her no other options. Clay is broken out of prison. Um, they break Clay out of prison and and Clay is finally killed. He's murdered. So when Jax kills Clay, it's that also for me is like Jax is like completely irredeemable. Because as much as like Clay did, and listen, Clay did a lot. No one's denying what Clay did. That's like his father. <laughs> That's the man who raised him. You know what I mean? Right. I think like the the sh- the show doesn't give specific dates and timelines but from the way they talk um you know Clay's been Jax's father since he was about 7 or 8 years old 
or just let clay rot in prison. You know what I mean? There's no more crisis of conscience. Like I want to do the right thing, but the wrong way is the only way to go. Or I'm going to try to do my best in a bad situation. That Jax is dead. The season wraps with basically Tara's like for real is like my life. It's my life on the freaking line. And like, I gotta, she's like, I've, if there's nothing else that I do in this life, I have to save my kids. She initially thinks about and almost goes through with cutting a deal with the district attorney to give up her husband and the MC and guns and the guns and the, and the drugs and everything in order to get witness protection and then safe passage essentially for her and her kids. Jax gets wind of it first. And when Jax gets wind of it, he is of course extremely angry and he, he sends the MC out to look for her because first she goes missing and nobody can find her. So he sends the MC out looking for her and eventually he finds her. There is this incredible scene between them. It's so chilling all you see is, like, you see Tara, like, basically being happy for, like, the first time ever uh, in a long time. She, well, she's watching Abel play, and then she's holding the baby. She thinks Abel's running to her, but Abel's, it's when Abel says, Daddy, she, her whole back, like, stiffens. And she stands up, and she's clutching Thomas, and Jax rips Thomas from her arms. And they sit down, and... They have this amazing conversation. You've changed and I see you and like you're a monster now. I can't let my sons end up like that. And like we said, Jax has moments of clarity. She goes, whatever you do, don't kill me in front of our kids. Right? So she's yeah, fully... Yeah, she don't murder me in front of our children. That children. shit hurt my heart. Same. That broke my heart. And it breaks Jax's too because like... He's like, why would you think I was going to kill you? Like, but it's like, no, of course. But it's like, like why would why? she not think that though? <laughs> right? Like, why would she not think that? And so then he says, so then Jax, you know, like I said, Jax has his moments. He has his moments of clarity. And this is one. And he, you know, agrees to let her move away. And he, and then he is like, I'll take the rap for like this gun situation that they get into where, he sold an illegal gun and it got into the hands of a child who then ended up shooting up a school. And he's like, I'm going to turn myself in. It's going to be fine. And like, we're going to live. And it's real like reconciliation between those two. But then Gemma finds out and Gemma thinks that Tara is going to flip. And Gemma goes back to the house, goes back to Jax's house and sees Tara and she grabs a, like barbecue fork and like stabs Tara to death in the head. And then Jax finds right at the brainstem, you guys. Ugh. And then Jax finds Tara's dead body hours later. And it is like, oof. Prior to Jax finding the body, two critical things happen. The sheriff Eli Roosevelt comes in because he heard the tussle and he informs Gemma that. It was Jax who negotiated the terms of this deal, and he was going to let her go to keep her and his kids safe. So all the shit that she just did, killing her daughter-in-law because she thought it was protecting the club, was completely unwarranted and like had no basis in reality. And then very quickly, Juice comes in, assesses the situation that Gemma killed Tara, that she's about to be arrested, and he kills Roosevelt to protect Gemma and leaves with Gemma. Why? 
Why? Why? <laughs> that would have been the perfect opportunity to be to assess the situation, leave, let Eli arrest Gemma, and then get back in Jax's favor by telling him exactly what his mother did. Mm. And you know what? I think it's um. I think the reason why Juice doesn't, or like that he goes to protect Gemma, is and he's and this is something that Juice says in, in an earlier episode when he when initially when Jax and Chibs find everything out and Juice throws himself at Jax's mercy, he says, I don't have a family. I don't have any, he goes, I don't have anywhere else to go. I don't have a family. There's no one else. This club is my family. And I think that's why he really does think of Gemma as his mother. Clay is his father. Jax is his brother and the, the members of, as his brothers, he like, I think for him, I think for Jews, like this really truly is like his family. This is his chosen family. And so he's going to do what he's got to do, but it doesn't serve him. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely agree. It's, I mean, it's very, you don't even have to speculate. Like we said before, the writing in the show lays a lot of things very clear. Um, I also think there's an element of guilt on account of what happened to Clay. Like he couldn't protect Clay, so he has to protect Gemma. Cause like you said, she, he does see her as a mother figure. Right. And it's, oh God, it's heartbreaking. It sucks. Um, what do you, what do we think of season six? Season six was catastrophic. That's not like, that's not, it's me saying it's bad. It's me saying it's very good, but like Tara's death, I'm going to be very real with you guys is when I stopped like this season finale is when I stopped watching the show. It took me 18 months after seeing that finale before I could watch season seven. By that point, the entire series was on Netflix back then. It's on Hulu now, but it was on Netflix then. And so when the entire series came to Netflix with season seven, about 18, 19 months after I finished this finale, and I could finally watch season seven when I was over like the emotional toll of watching Tara die this way. Cause like the people that I was emotionally invested in were her and Wendy. I knew that no matter what, I wanted them to live. And to have her die this way at the hands of this person, it was just too much for me. What do you think of season six? I think season six is great. It's amazing. It's a tour de force. But like you said, it's emotion. It's very emotionally taxing because of the Gemma stuff, because of all of the Jackson Tara stuff. There's a lot of Jackson Tara this season, and it's so painful to watch. Season six had so many poignant moments, even after... Um, one of the most poignant moments is actually after Gemma kills Tara. Roosevelt comes in. He's like, what the fuck did you do? And she's like, I loved her. I loved her. I loved her. It's not that I believe that Gemma loves Tara because I don't believe she's capable of loving anyone, really. Uh, I think she came closest with Clay, but that's about it. Even after doing this hideously violent thing to Tara, she's still delusional enough that she thinks she loves this girl. The warped relationships on this show are definitely uh, the gift that keeps on giving. So season seven, the final season. Uh, 13 episodes, but man, did they pack a fucking punch. Let's, par let's, let's parse some of this down a little bit. First right. thing. So I will <laughs> say that season seven is too long. Like season seven, this is a season where Kurt Sutter co-wrote every single episode. Somebody at FX needed to be like, all these can be trimmed down by 10 minutes. Season seven is essentially where everybody gets got or they get their shit together. One or the other. When we come into the season, 
a lot of fucking people die unnecessarily um, behind lies that were told concerning Tara's death, which is initially pinned on the Chinese gang. Mm -hmm. And there's a literal execution style mass murder in the streets of a bunch of Chinamen who didn't know shit, didn't do shit, weren't about shit concerning that death. It's really ugly. And basically, Jax is in the final stage, completes a metamorphosis of being the exact person Tara told him he was becoming. Oh, no, yeah. Absolutely. Final stage. Like, end stage, horrific, monster, soulless, conscienceless human being. He continues to punish Juice this season. When Juice re-enters the picture, that happens a little bit later. In the end... Abel and Thomas and Wendy were able to be saved. And so that gives me some sense of closure. Or either fifth or fourth season, we start getting voiceovers with Jax writing things in his journal in the same way that we get voice voiceovers of John Teller, Teller's book that Jax reads. Then they go ahead and tell us that he's writing these journals for his sons. Um, to read eventually one day, the same way he read JT's manuscript. And so he takes all of his, all of the things that he's written down for his, his boys and he burns them and he gets everything together and puts it in order, gets money for Wendy and the kids. And, and then he, he commits suicide by cop. Uh, by truck, by 18 by wheeler. Truck. <laughs> That poor truck driver was just trying to earn a living for his family and got caught up in some shit. He lets himself be sideswiped by this 18-wheeler, which is how John Teller died after Gemma and Clay conspired to cut the brake line on his bike. He gives himself that little bookend, um, like father, like son, I guess. But the thing is, he didn't go out like JT because he went out by his own hand. It's kind of like that bittersweet ending that I got um, and we talked about this when we reviewed the originals back in our vampire season, how Klaus and Elijah were able to choose their own manner of death. And therefore, it really didn't feel like they were being penalized for anything that they had done, which they had done a lot of shit <laughs> over the centuries. You know Jax deserved to die, but um, this self-flagellation doesn't hit. It doesn't. I would have been fine if he had just gotten locked up. Yeah, I would have been fine with that, too, because I feel like all the things he did and all the lives he took, both necessary and unnecessary, you don't just get to take yourself out of the picture and let that be that. Again, one of the bigger problems with this show is the complete lack of personal accountability with nearly every character on the show. Yeah, this this season, the only person who is really punished for his actions and punish at the hands of of his brothers, quote unquote, is Juice. But yeah, season seven is heartbreaking. Juice uh, goes to prison. Um, Unser, still not dead. Well, let's talk really quickly about how Unser and Gemma ultimately meet their death. Jax ultimately finds out that Gemma had lied to him and that she had took out the letters that implicated herself and that she, not only about the letters, but then he found out that she was the one who killed Tara as brutally as she did, and then Unser knew. And so then Jax goes to kill both Unser and Gemma. He doesn't initially come to kill Unser, which is which is interesting. He knows Unser's covering for Gemma, and we all know why. Unser's holding a torch for Gemma, always has, even though, um, you know, when we come into the season, he's married. 
um, before his wife skips out on him, he's married to another woman and still like he's worshiping at the altar of Gemma's feet. Jax tells this dude to leave so he can deal with Gemma and Unter's like, I refuse. (laughs) Boy, listen. Um, I know he doesn't have much to lose because like we said, he's very old and he still does have cancer. But like, you really dying for this broad over some shit that she did? It's not even like he's falsely <laughs> accused. <laughs> Get it I, together, Wayne. Gemma's death is prettier than she deserved. She has to die at her father's house, right? Yeah, um, with all those peonies surrounding her. Right, right. But she gets to die in his house in that beautiful garden. And I'm like... I mean, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I didn't <laughs> want it to be worse because we've had a lot of violent deaths on the show. But it, like you said, it was better, much better than she deserved and much too quick for her. I'm, st- I'm just glad that those babies didn't die. I was so worried about <laughs> Abel and Thomas, you guys. Same, 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 same. And I'm glad that they, they get to move away with their their mom and, and have have a real chance. We do get a little cameo from Marilyn Manson in season seven. He plays uh, uh, a leader of uh, an Aryan group who is who basically makes Juice his prison bitch. It's really horrible to watch. But if you're wondering who that person is, that's Marilyn Manson. Shout out to bringing out the creep in everybody. <laughs> I want to say this about the show in general. Y'all brought y'all about Marilyn Manson. Y'all about Stephen King a few seasons back. Even Donal Lagu, who plays Agent Torek, is someone who is best known as playing the affable, loving, funny dad on Grounded for Life. I definitely did not see this turn coming, but everybody brought their A-game to this show. Um the, I would not have made these casting decisions. I would not have envisioned this of some of these people, but they did everything they had to do with these characters. Shout out to the writing. I can't say enough about the, how great the writing is on this show, but I probably will once we um, start talking about Breaking Bad. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Same, same, same. Um, and there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the back half of Sons of Anarchy good, bad, basic and so incredibly smart if you'd like to check out the series sons of anarchy is currently streaming on hulu please let us know your thoughts on this series via our twitter and instagram if you are a gbb patron on our top two tiers be sure to check out our sons of anarchy spotify playlist if you haven't already if you've enjoyed this episode of the good the bad the basic be sure to share it with your friends Tune in next week when we'll be diving into the first half of the AMC original Breaking Bad and sharing our thoughts on the first three seasons of this series. If you'd like to check out or relive this crime drama, Breaking Bad is currently streaming on Netflix. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow at The Good Bad Basic on Twitter and at Good Bad Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regularly weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time, bye everyone.